nobody on. The playoffs to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three called to the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Autobot Podcast. My name is Justin Vibber and I'm joined as always by Chad Young and Niv Shaw. On tonight's episode, we're going to continue our our series that we started on the last episode doing Keeper Deadline case studies. This is basically part two and we have three, maybe four teams we're going to discuss tonight. We did not get a chance. None of the, none of the teams that we covered on the first episode were Roto teams so we wanted to be sure that we picked a roto team for this episode and that's what we're going to lead off with here this is a five by five league it's league number 1125 the league name is atomic fantasy and the team name is swinging for the fences based on the surplus calculator dollar values i'm anticipating 15 percent inflation in this league which makes sense because it's a newer league and this team has the second place projected keepers and only 15 or $16 in projected team value behind first place. So definitely a team that is competing and will be in the mix and needs to focus on that with all their decision-making this, this off season. So Niv, Chad, I'm going to kick it over to you and then we'll bounce around a bit as we discuss these. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to add to this team swinging for the fences is that last year in the short season, they finished in 10th place in their league with 49 and a half points in the five by five format. So this is a pretty interesting place to be in. Uh, we didn't go through all their trades during the season last year, but obviously they they did an interesting job of rebuilding to get into the position they are in now. And the other thing I wanted to point out before uh, going into it too deeply, they made two trades that I think we would consider sort of minor. I mean, the second trade is not minor in terms of the players involved, but there may not be a keeper among them. But they've only made two trades this offseason, so a lot of this work looks like it was done throughout the year in 2020. So that's pretty impressive. I just want to, that's almost like a a shout out. Like, that, that's impressive work to to position yourself in this place going into 2021 from where you were. Yeah, and, and to, to specifically mention, it was the most recent trade, which I think is is... They're both pretty interesting. The most recent trade was this team traded away Max Freed and Drew Waters. That was a $21 Freed and a $4 Waters and acquired a $48 Bryce Harper and a $3 Carl, Cal Quantrill. Chad, do you think that any of those four... I know we, we, we had sort of started these notes before thinking about this trade, and I think we both had Harper in our list of probably a cut, right? I mean, we we didn't expect that... Harper was a keeper for this team, but do you think any of those four were keepers or are keepers? Not, not really. I don't think that that's a a huge trade. However, I, I do think I think it's an interesting insight into this manager's mindset that they traded for Harper a few days ago because it it tells me that they probably believe Harper's a keeper, right? Otherwise, they likely don't make this deal. But when I look at that deal, I think. I, None of those guys jump out at me as like hugely important keepers. I do think 
th- there's an interesting conversation in this team at the at the top of their roster with some of the expensive pieces they have. Are are any of them worth keeping? And my initial thought in five by five is is no. But I also think because they have so many expensive players they can cut, if they're really if they're really high on Harper, I can understand why it's not gonna I mean, it's not gonna tank their budget, is what you think. Right. After you know, after accounting for inflation, I think Harper and five by five is probably a forty, maybe up to a forty five dollar player. That forty eight still seems high, but you know, we talked about this a little bit last episode and we've talked about it in the past as well, that like everybody has to determine for themselves where they value that player. And, and this team could actually use a high-end bat like Harper. And so I, I can understand the argument for keeping Harper. I think if I were going to keep, if you know, the, the top expensive bats in this team, there's a $58 Bellinger, a $48 Harper, and a $37 J.D. Martinez. If I'm keeping one of them, it's Harper. For, for the $10 difference between him and Bellinger, I would definitely keep Harper over Bellinger. Uh, I... J.D. Martinez is so one-dimensional in 5x5 five five and was so bad last year that I just don't see the need to keep him at 37. And so I, I could make a case for keeping Harper. I don't know that I would, but I can understand why a team would. Yeah, I, I mean, I would cut them all, and I wouldn't even think twice about it. Well, even in a league where, you know, like, Betts is in the 60s, Trout is in the 60s, Soto's in the 60s, like... I, I mean, I'm not saying all those guys are going to be kept or whatever, but you think there's uh, opportunity to get as big a bat as... Or do you think Harper just goes for less well, in the auction? Or? Well, here, here, here's what I'll say, okay? The fact, like, if, if you're going to say those players are at those prices, you expect that they're going to be kept. My personal opinion, I don't have... Uh, let me look real quick. There is exactly one player on the surplus calculator in 5x5 five five who is projected to be worth $50, and that's Ronald Acuna. Right. And Juan Soto is at 49.3. That's it. So, And I, I agree with that, like a, that, that general shape. So right. to me, this is a second-year league. Their first year was this short season. So to me, I am absolutely not willing to spend $60 on anybody and not $55 on anybody. I'm cutting them because... If those other players, like Niv's pointing out that there are other players there that are 60, if they're 60, then they were auctioned pretty highly last year. To me, that's all the more reason to cut these studs because there's going to be potentially negative inflation if there are overpaid players capped. It's going to drive down. Now, I estimate at 15%, but that's just based on taking what the surplus calc says and lopping off 15%. But if there are poor decisions made or if, if this league is unusually uh, aggressive in keeping the top end guys, then you're going to get bargains at auction. And normally you don't want to shop at argon, at, at auction, but if inflation's low enough, I'm happy to throw Harper back. I'm happy to throw all the guys that Chad named back and just try to hammer and maybe value. just rebuy them, right? Yeah. Potentially. Now they probably won't. They'll probably still go high. But then as Chad mentioned in the last episode, the, middle... the top end might go higher than they should, but then that middle range and five by five, I do not mind shopping in the middle at all. I will roster so many $20 players until I'm blue in the face and five by five. It is not a downside in my eyes to just have a lot of I think the, the balance need, with your spend. The need in five by the need in points to have a top end talent because you just need to accrue points somehow is much greater than it is in five by five. And I, I right. think like the, you know, if I'm, if I'm thinking going back to like old school draft rounds and stuff like that, yeah. in points leagues 
having two or three first or second round guys really matters. In five by five, I actually think if you can load up on third and fourth round guys at the like, you, if you have twice as many third and fourth round guys as you would otherwise have because you pass in first and second round guys, like, I, I think that actually works out pretty well. And in an auction, you can do that, right? You have the ability to say, I'm gonna have eight third and fourth round guys instead of a first, a second, a third, and a fourth. And in five by five, if you if you pick you have picked the right eight guys, right? And I think one of the things that I've noticed with this team is I, I think they could use some speed. Jonathan VR at $14 is sort of their one guaranteed source of speed, but it's really unclear what his playing situation is going to be. And man, I'm, I'm super hesitant to keep him at $14 given that, although I understand the need for stolen bases. But I think this team does need to find some speed, but I think they can go out and find that and and augment what's already a really really solid core pretty easily so let's let's touch on that just really briefly because we're all we've talked about is cutting bellinger harper and jd martinez and that's those are three awesome hitters i mean jd martinez whatever but those are three awesome hitters and so let's talk a little bit about the core of this team right like the core of this team is actually really freaking fun right like it's it has a lot of interesting pieces on on both sides. Yeah, I mean, I would start right there. They're middle infield, and I would keep the. You know, they have two expensive shortstops. I'd keep them both. I, I would keep Bichette yeah. and Machado. They have Machette, Machado, and and then Lord Scurial as their second baseman and Madrigal. And then right, and then you've got Madrigal, and then you've got some some other interesting pieces like. You know, a $3 Jazz Chisholm. I think you got to figure out what you think he is. We just talked about VR. Maybe maybe VR signs the next few days and you get a good sense of what he's going to be worth because mm. that speed is awfully attractive. But that's that's a really fun group. And then the outfield lacks depth right now. But Kyle Tucker, assuming this person's going to keep Harper, you've got Harper there. You've got Gurriel that you can play in the outfield if you're using Madrigal at second base, which in a 5x5 five five makes a lot more sense than it would in other situations. You've got a cheap first baseman in Luke Voigt, plus Andrew Vaughn, who should be coming soon, plus Nate Lau, who should be really useful. Like, there's just there's really good pieces there to build around. Yeah, and then the staff is really fun too, right? Like with Castillo and, I mean, Sixto and, I don't know, there's Kyle, Dustin Kyle, May. I mean, Kyle Hendricks isn't exciting, but he's completely dependable, you know, right. as a as an innings eater, a low ERA and whip, so. Um, and right, and like, that's that's also important because this team is doing an interesting job of not just going flashy, right, but if you look at like the pitchers from top to bottom, it's a real staff. It's not. But um, there's still plenty of exciting names with, with Sixto it has and upside Severino sure. and Nate Pearson coming, you know, right. as a minor leaguer that, that is going to be playing this year and, and even Scooble. Well, I, think, I think the thing they've done well is at the top of that staff, you've got a $42 Shane Bieber, who I think is worth the $42, Luis Castillo at $28, and Kyle Hendricks at 10 And those are your sort of solid, dependable, you know what you're getting from them. I, you know, like I said, Hendricks may not be exciting. But in 5x5, five five, where strikeouts are only one category instead of being as important as they are across the board in points, Hendricks is a super useful pitcher. I'd be very happy to have him. But they've got that solid group at the top. And then you've got Severino, Sixto, Dustin May, Nate Pearson, Tarek Skubal. Real upside, um, yeah. Who any of those guys could become another ace tomorrow. Right. 
right? right? And now they won't all become aces, but that's okay. They don't need them all to become aces. Yeah, you're taking really interesting bets, I think. Yeah, and I think they this team probably needs to augment that with another couple of sort of middling reliable pitchers, like guys who you can count on to eat innings and help you fill up some categories and stuff like that who aren't going to cost you a ton. But I don't think they need to do a lot more work than that. And then you just give it time to see who pops. But I, I think the big question with their, their pitching staff, or the, the interesting question is, what do you do with a $20 Shohei Otani? I was just about to bring him up, yeah. Oh, man. We, we've multiple times talked about having an entire episode about just what to do with Shohei Otani, right? And that $20 price, like I think the 20 to 25 is where he's probably sitting for a lot of leagues in all formats just because of being recut and re-auctioned last year. Oh, I don't know, man. It, I, it's I, Especially because you don't really know the role right now. Right. And Joe I, Madden just... Joe Madden means it could be any uh, anywhere on the range of rumors that you've heard, right? So go ahead. The thing I had missed with Otani that I think matters here, he, he had seven home runs and seven stolen bases last year which in 175 plate appearances, a little less than a third of a season, like that's basically a 25-25 pace. Now, he's probably not going to hit in 75% of their games next year like he did last year because he's hopefully going to be healthy enough to, to pitch in more than he did. So I, it's, it's hard to know what to expect, but that's a really interesting, useful piece. If he can provide you 60-70 games as a utility bat and steal you 10 to 15 bases and hit you 10 to 15 home runs. And, you know, last year he he had only a 189 or 190 batting average, which is terrible. But the two years before that, he was at around, in the mid-280s. Right. Does anyone um, believe that he's really going to hit sub-200 again? Yeah. Or? He's just, he is, you know, the, the upside with Otani, and this is, you're always going to, when you talk about Otani, you always have to talk about the upside. The upside with Otani is a $50 guy who... No, it's game-breaking. Right. But at $20, he doesn't need to do that much. Right, right. To be worth that. Especially especially if he flashes a speed, right? Like, stealing bases just really is a game-changing conversation for, for so he, he Here's my counter-argument, slight counter-argument. I would say... Do you think that a, a roster and a team in the position that this one is in, where they're competing and should be competitive, do you think that variance and volatility with Otani is useful? Do you think it's well? Let me. Let I me mean, that, that context I feel matters because this team. If if I would be looking for solid, you already have a lot of young sort of volatile players. I would be looking for a little bit more value and solid production with this roster. And I wouldn't want to absorb that risk with Otani, even though I completely agree there's a 40 to $50 player that could conceivably happen this year. I think, I think that's true. I mean, first of all, I would say, I think what you described as a high variance, high volatility player is true on his, on this team's pitching. I think it's a little bit less true on the hitting. So it's like, I'm sort of okay with taking that risk though. You know, I understand the variance question but let me flip it to you like for that twenty dollars do you think i mean i'm sure and we just talked about it five by five you can find interesting twenty dollar players that can help you win leagues but do you think there is value in keeping an otani because a twenty dollar twenty two dollar shohei otani is always a compelling piece to trade at the the middle of the season 
Like, this is, again, sort of going back to what we talked about last well, time. I like, mean, is he an interesting trade asset? Because if you are a competing team and you have, you know, what we're talking about here are tweaks for this team. Nothing that they, like, if they keep Harper, like, I don't know if there's anything huge they need to get at auction. So do you think you keep that asset as the trade piece? Or do you, would you rather have $10 extra at, to go into the season with? This is an open question. I I, I, I would I, lean towards Otani, but that's I would, me. I would probably want the money, and there's a couple quick reasons why. Number one, you can like I would be shopping him right now to see what you can get. Yeah, that's that's and, a good point. You know, and 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 obviously that's that's a given with a lot of these conversations. I'm not really you know that's that's not me really reaching into the the strategy well here. Yeah, trade, trade see what you can get, see it what's turn, available. It turns out most of our advice on these keeper deadline <laughs> case studies has been. But that. it's but it's true. I mean, I would I would be shop actively shopping him right now. The other reason I would lean towards not keeping him on my roster is yes, you're right. He is an attractive trade asset, but he's an attractive trade asset, in my opinion, to teams that can absorb the volatility of he could be nothing. Or like we're going to talk about some rebuilding teams in, in our next you know couple, I think. Those are the types of teams that should be taking those Otani risks because there's no downside to them. If Otani blows out his arm and is a DHing 50% and plays 50% of the time, that's really not that value. That's not... That's not a $10 player. That's not a, maybe a $5 player. And he's got his $20 salary as a util only. And yes, he brings some speed and that does help in five by five. So maybe I'm, I'm, I'm a little too low on that hypothetical, but to me, I don't want to have that much downside risk invested in $20. Yes. The upside is there, but I would try to sell someone else on that upside and see if I could get something that is a little more sure for competing because I'm going to want, I, I want to try to win this league. Yeah. It, you know, I think, I think that's also right because you, if you, if you are probing on Otani in the next, what today's the 26th in the next five days, if you're probing on Otani in the next five days, that really, to me, I think that, and you know, maybe now I'm agreeing with Justin a little bit, but I think that determines if you keep him because you do need to understand, is there a trade market now? Is there a trade market in season and and how and how much do I want to absorb that variance? Like those are the three things to consider. So I think you, you probably need to just sort out where he is uh, today, right? Like yeah. And the other and the other issue to me is if you're keeping him with the idea that you'll trade him if you have to as at least to flip right. him in season. I feel like in that scenario, so much of his value. If if that scenario happens, then he's probably not. No one's probably going to want to trade for him. Right. Either you want to actually play him. Right, because he's if he's good, asset. right, if he's good enough to be to be flippable at that point, he's probably good enough that you should just keep him, which is not a bad result out of this. If yeah, you keep him, and he's worth still it. But a world in which you know one of those sixty-eight that sixty-eight dollar Mookie bets or whatever, you know, like that, that's the kind of piece that like you're not giving up. I don't know. I I can just see a world in which you can get one of the top three players in this five by five format on for your outfield for Otani and not and and feel okay about that especially with the way and you know like when we're talking about the staff for this team and it's high variance that's where i'm afraid about otani right that's where i almost don't want to have a shohei otani on this team because it's just like all the names chad mentioned that could turn into an ace otani is in that list in a sense but like how many of those do you want to like be spending money in roster spots on probably not six right I don't know. 
Ch Chad, I think feel like you have something. No, I'm. I'm. I think I'm. I. I don't know. I look at Otani and this team, and I think he fills a need on their offense that they can actually absorb pretty well. They. They've got. You know, their their first base situation with Voit, Vaughn, and Lau is is good, but they don't have so much first base, corner infield, or even outfield talent so, that like, they eat can't up the fit Otani in as as a util whenever whenever he's there. I think they're really built well for using him from that perspective. They're built well to absorb the issues he might have from a pitching standpoint because they've got good enough pitching elsewhere and enough upside in their pitching elsewhere that if he struggles, they should, you know, if he or doesn't pitch, they should be fine. So I just, I actually think this team is really well built to take advantage of that upside. I think the the question is who else are they going to cut and what is their auction situation going to look like? Because while this team is in a good place, they have work to do. They really need to build an outfield from scratch, I think, at the auction. And that is where I look at this team and it's like, I think they could use Otani well. I think they could absorb his pitching. I'm just not sure that they don't need that cash to go out and buy enough. Like, they might be better off buying four more $5 outfielders right. than they are having right. Otani. And I, that, that I think, is where there's there's some – it's more about that than his upside or his downside or his so, risk or anything like that for me. So I, I, I want to bring up another name that we, I don't think we've mentioned yet. This team also has a $14 Joe Adele on the roster. And I feel like, to me, that's a clear cut just because – that's a lot of money to pay, even though he's a top prospect. But and, and I, I'm not completely discounting his struggles in a short season, but I'm, I'm kind of discounting it's, it. It's but at the same time, it's fourteen dollars. Yeah. So even if he um, had done well, or maybe he, let's say he didn't a debut last year and he's still a top th four prospect, I don't think any top four prospect necessarily is is should be kept for fourteen, especially in a in a roto league. There's just not as much upside with a player like that breaking out into a star and being a $60, $50, $60 player. It's just not as likely in five by five with the compressed values. So easy cut. Yeah. I just, I figured, but I, I, I wonder if that might be a siren song for somebody that's like, Oh, well, Joe Waddell's a top prospect and that might right, be that somebody might be else worth... to see if there's any interest anywhere else. There may, there may be a rebuilding team that for them to invest $34 in Adele and Otani who might be worth $80 between them six months from now is a good investment and they may be willing to give up a really useful you know $30 outfielder for them right. I, I think that's an interesting question but yeah and you sort of understand now a little bit like based on what you guys just said like I definitely feel like you understand the shape of that Harper trade a little bit like this team obviously understands they need to get, acquire an outfield a little bit. Like the trade block even says that they're trying to add bats, and so you sort of see the shape of what they're trying to accomplish there. So, yeah, I mean, I think it feels to me like this team, this team's manager understands the advice we're about to we just gave them. You know, well, even though some of it seems, you know, if their intention is to trade for Harper, and then obviously, as we already said, if their intention is to keep him, I I do think that that's a mistake. But I understand where that comes from, though. Like the certainty of the of the bat is nice. The, I, the idea is in the right place. Yes, I and just you think feel, that and wasn't. You feel burned by JD Martinez last year, you know, and like you're like, let me just not deal with this at auction. The the team this team should be calling, by the way, the invisible spiders in this league are middle to the bottom half of the pack in terms of projected surplus and have a lot of outfielders. 
and they say they need starting pitching, but that outfield, they've got that $64 Soto, who's not the guy I'd be targeting. If you go down a couple spots from there, there's a $17 Gallo, a $15 Buxton, an $8 Dylan Carlson. They've got a $10 Dominic Smith. They've got a $6 even Alex Karoloff is interesting to me. They've got a bunch of outfielders that I would be inquiring on and seeing if I can find a fit. Yeah, especially especially if you can give up one of the high-risk starting pitchers or whatever. If I could trade a pitching prospect for Dylan Carlson, and by pitching prospect, I mean one of their young, talented right, major right, league right. pitchers, not 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 a, an actual prospect. But if I could trade one of those major league-ready pitchers for a major league-ready Dylan Carlson, there's probably a win-win between those two teams That's to a good be call. done. Yep, I agree. I agree. If there's any not anything else you guys want to mention on this one, I think we can move on to the next one. The next team is a head-to-head Fangraphs points. We we covered Fangraphs points in the last episode, but we didn't talk about any head-to-head leagues. Uh, this is in League 462. Uh, the name of the league is Rob's Favorite Auto New League. And this particular team we're going to be discussing is Penrod Deluxe. The other thing I, I want to mention is we intentionally decided to highlight a team that is currently available to claim. This is an abandoned team. Uh, you can go to autonew.fangrass.com slash claim teams to see the list of teams that are available. And I will say that for me personally, when I started playing Autonew, I was in one or two leagues. And then very quickly, I was in many more than one or two leagues. And the way I did that was by claiming abandoned orphan teams because it was great fun to claim a team to have a roster full of players you didn't necessarily have any attachment to and then challenge yourself to retool and rebuild. And that's what I did. And it was great. That's why I got addicted to being in as many leagues as I am in. So I highly recommend that anybody that's interested in playing out or having some additional teams, that that's a fun way to, to take over a team and see what you can do and see how quickly you can rebuild. So one of the things I find, and you know, I know I'm incredibly biased here, so I'll try to toe the <laughs> line a little bit, but one of the things I find about these kinds of projects, and especially like you know, when we're just going through these teams, when we're playing Auto New, we end up, and everyone says this in Slack and the community, and the three of us have said a lot, we end up with the same players, right? Because they're players you believe in, justifiably or not, more than anyone else believes in them. Like, you know, Will Myers for me is that guy. I always spend too much money on Will Myers. Will Myers is always on my roster. You know, we could ask Chad about Dom Smith and, like, go down that path. Um, The headset just came right back on as soon as I said that. So the thing that's interesting about this project is that you didn't pick these guys. So you get to – even the exciting players on this team, and I think there are actually a lot of exciting players on this team – there, there may be no overlap between other rosters, right? So I think that that's like a fun way of thinking about these kinds of projects. You're also not attached to the guys, right? I think right, one you're of not the attached. It's hard about right. rebuilding your own teams is you're like, oh man, do I really want to trade this guy? Like I just, I, I just traded uh, a Keston here in another league where I was like, man, do I really want to trade him? I was excited to have him on my team. I feel sort of attached to him. The deal made sense for my team, so I did it. But when you take over a, a team that's been abandoned or that, that's available like this, you have an opportunity to jump in in a situation where you're like, I'm not attached to anybody, so, so I can do anything here. And, and that, that, I think, gives you a lot of freedom. And I don't know, man, this is a fun team. Like, yeah, it's lacking in surplus, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting upside. The surplus this team 
does have, unfortunately, is not surplus I think you want when you're rebuilding, but that's great for trading. They've got a $14 Charlie Morton who may not be a major league player by the time this is this team's ready to compete. They have a $13 Liam Hendricks who's a great value, but I'm not I'm not rebuilding around expensive closers. They've got a $23 Justin Turner who with inflation is probably a good piece, but again, by the time you you get to when this team's competing, like trade Turner to someone who needs him today. And, and then you get to build around Teoscar Hernandez, Jeff McNeil, Ian Anderson. Then you've got prospects like Trevor Larnock, Gavin Lux. I'm I'm still excited about what Austin Riley can do. I think Nico Horner's still an interesting guy. Like, there's just a bunch of interesting pieces to start building a team around here, and they're all inexpensive. And then you can go out and trade. Like, you should get a good return for Morton. You should get a good return for Liam Hendricks. Like, go out, move those guys, get cheap. This is a team I could see going into the going into the auction with like $150 spent on a small number of players and leave the auction with like two $60 guys they intend to trade and then everyone else is a total of 200 bucks and is cheap and they're just waiting to see what pops and spending a bunch of money on in-season auctions and, and churning through some stuff but but walking out of this season like this team could hit this offseason with a, a pretty fun roster yeah, I, I agree. And and I, I had a note as well about I think definitely one of my strategies to if, if I was going to be taking over this team would be to be very active at the top end of the auction. And I would probably just try to get the best player available. I wouldn't go crazy overspending for him, but you if you can get the hammer and, 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 and you know you, you roster that, that player with the intention to flip him, I agree. I mean, there's going to be a lot of auction space available for this team to, to sort of dictate this is where this player is going to go at, and at this price. And I'd be willing to go maybe five above what I normally would just to be able to flip him later because the money doesn't matter as much for this team. Um, the other thing I wanted to quickly mention, too, is this would be a team that there's a there's an expensive trout on another roster. And I think it's us uh, and trout's in the name. It's smoked trout. I would maybe touch base with that that manager and say, hey, that's an $84 trout. You're probably not keeping him, right? And see if you can deal something small. I'm happy to keep an $84 trout if I'm rebuilding because then I'm going to flip him in season with a loan for a massive haul. And, you know, at least would be worth reaching out to that manager to see what their thoughts are on actually keeping that trout because that's exactly the sort of player I might want to have on this team to then flip for additional assets. We didn't mention it. I forgot to specifically, this is a league that I'm estimating at 25% inflation. And this particular team is in 12th place projected keepers, but it's a, it's, it's 12th place, but it's not, there's a number of teams that are sort of in that same pack. So it's 12th, but it really, it's more like in that ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th range. It's not like, like Chad mentioned, and I agree, there are definitely interesting pieces on the roster. There's definitely a path to, to pull off that, as as Niv has in his notes, that classic two-year Audenew rebuild. I think there's definitely a path to do that. And one thing I wanted us to talk about, and maybe we should segue into this right now, is specifically how your strategy in terms of roster construction changes when you're in a head-to-head league. This particular head-to-head league has a nine-game starts-per-week cap for starting pitchers. So unlike... 
standard Fangraphs points where you just have a 1500 inning cap and it doesn't matter where you get those innings from. In this case, you can only have nine starting pitching starts per week and you want to be able to hit all nine of those every single week. So you really need it. Once this team is ready to compete, they need to really focus on having a really deep starting rotation. I don't know if there's any other sort of strategic aspects you guys want to mention about head to head specifically, but I feel like that's the biggest one. Yeah, I think that, and I think w- with the pitching staff, and, and this team's got some interesting names from from this regard, but you want to make sure that you have pitchers who go deep into the game because you're limited on starts rather than innings. You know, a pitcher who goes nine innings and gives you four points per inning is going to do better than a pitcher who gives you six points per inning over five innings. Right, just, right? To, be, it's, it's a just to be really difference. explicit about this, uh, head-to-head has no season-long caps, right? right? So you're entirely living within the the league-specific starting pitching cap, and that's it. You have no game caps. You have no relief caps. So, again, just to piggyback on what Chad said, like the other thing you want to do is, is try to maximize. Uh, you can maximize relief pitching in a different way in head-to-head, right? Yes, and, and what you want to be doing is focusing on and, and this is sort of general, even on the offensive side, is focusing on total points. A lot of Fangraphs points is focused on points above replacement from a an efficiency perspective in terms of points per game and points per innings pitch because you have a resource that you're expending when you play in Fangraphs points. You're expending part of your game's cap, part of your innings cap. So you focus on the efficiency of how many points can I get per game, per inning. But because head-to-head doesn't have those caps in the same way, yeah, I, I would be focusing on just the total points from the hitters. I would make sure that I could fill. you can fill up full lineup every single day. There's no caps. So I would make sure I have enough catchers to fill that catcher spot every single day. I have enough outfielders to fill all five spots as many days as I possibly can. So it sort of prioritizes more depth. So it's it's a similar effect to 5x5 five five where I'm I'm less likely to want to have trout on my roster if I'm trying to compete because I just don't have enough money to fill out the rest of the depth that I think I'm going to need in order to do that correctly. But yeah, on the relief side, you want to focus on, it's similar to what Chad said with the starters. You don't really care if a guy goes a 10th of an inning and gets you, you know, 10 points per inning. You care more about the reliever that goes two innings and gets you 10 points total like it's it's fine you care about the total points more than you do about the efficiency so the other thing that i wanted to mention i'm trying to look at my notes really quick i it's sort of i mentioned it already when we were talking about that five by five team that's competing this particular 12th place rebuild team is exactly the sort of team that's going to want to try to embrace volatility take more chances on right. uh, high upside even if it means you're spending ten dollars and and maybe that's an overpay and it's not technically surplus, but getting that future value and finding a breakout might be more important than, you know, not having surplus, especially and in just season, having, having it, assets to assets to move at the trade deadline, that kind of thing. Like yeah. you really get to think about this project in a, in a freeing way, which is that you don't really care about getting perfect lineup construction, like a perfect complementary set of players you can just go out there, get the players that you would want to trade midseason, get the players that you think are fun, get some players that you think might break out in the next couple of years, and just use that 
to either find the pieces that build you into a 2022 contender one way or another, right? Like one way or another. So you have like the freedom afforded here is, and again, I know I am extremely biased when I tell people to pick up abandoned teams or whatever, but I think, I mean, the projects are fun. And like, if you, if you are looking for a challenge, like, like turning this team around in two years is both doable and, and I think would be fun. All right, we're going to move on to the next uh, league and team. Now, this this next one is going to be very similar to the last one. It's not an abandoned team, but it is a team that is in sort of a rebuild, I, I believe. I think we all agreed on that. This is in League 727. The league name is Auto Intermediate League. The team that we're going to be discussing is Auto Vado. And just like the last one, this is another head-to-head Fangraphs points. This one actually has an even larger game started per matchup cap at 10 game starts per week. So that's even more of an emphasis on having a lot of starting pitchers to fill that once this team is going to compete. But right now I'm expecting 30% inflation in this league, according to the surplus calculator, and it's ninth place projected keepers. So not bottom of the league, but definitely I think in that range that this is going to be a team that you're going to want to focus on on rebuilding. One thing that I think we wanted to specifically talk about with this team, I think Chad, if you're back, if you wanted to mention uh, the issue, you, you kind of mentioned in the last one, but I want to give you more time to talk about it. The the issue with innings pitched per game starts mattering more. Yeah, and I think this team really has a, a problem from that regard because um, I look at their pitching and they've got some. I don't know if exciting is the right word, but they've got some pitchers that people really like, right? They've got names like Chris Paddock, Sixo Sanchez. I know there's people who are high on Jonathan Loisaga. Rich Hill is not necessarily exciting, but is always good. But none of those guys are guys who regularly go deep into games. And then you've got David Price, who does seem like a guy who regularly goes deep into games, but also hasn't pitched in a yeah, year. But... So, right. So, like, I don't really know what to expect from him. And so... I think this team has an issue where their pitchers almost look better on paper than they actually are for the format. And so one of the things they should be doing, or at least I would be doing if I were them, is like, you know, get rid of those guys who are maybe not worth what they seem like they should be worth given their their points per game versus their points per inning. And just as an example on this, I pulled up some numbers about a week ago from last season. Herman Marquez of the, the Rockies was about 42nd. I pulled a list of pitchers who only had games started to try to avoid any relief inning things, 138 of them. Marquez was 48th in points per, 42nd, sorry, in points per inning pitch. He's 24th in points per game started. Zach Wheeler, 40th in points per inning pitched, 20th in points per game started. Moving the other direction, let's see if I can pull up a couple names here. There were a couple I was looking at before. Oh, Sonny Gray, 16th in points per inning pitched, 31st in points per game started. Pablo Lopez, 27th in points per inning pitched, 38th in points per game started. So I think it's really important to pay attention to to what that looks like for your pitchers because you can easily get caught in a situation where you've got a guy who feels like a $20 pitcher, top 15 guy, but only goes five innings every time. And that guy is not a top 20 pitcher in this format. And he's not a $20 pitcher in this format. And you need to be aware of that. What I don't know, and this is something I want to look into a little bit, is I'm not super clear on how reliable a predictor 
innings pitched per game started is. And so what I don't have a really clear sense on is like, is it fair to say this guy was under five innings per start last year, and so he's probably going to be under five innings per start next year? I don't know. For now, I'm using it as at least a proxy, especially for guys whose situation hasn't changed. Right. So if they went to a new team or if they were a rookie last year or if they were injured, there's some different stuff there. But like I mentioned Zach Wheeler, Wheeler and Marquez were two names I mentioned. Like in head to head leagues, those are guys I'm targeting. They're more valuable than they seem to be, we, and there's no reason to think they won't continue to pitch a lot of innings. We talked about this a little bit in in the auto news slack yesterday or a couple of days ago, whatever, about in in reference to Bauer, I think. And Trevor Bauer, you know, his interest in pitching a thousand innings this year or whatever the heck he's he's up to but he you know you look at it and you sort of realize like that guy kind of has an innings per start number that he lives at he's just not a seven inning a start guy right now and it seems like he's gonna have to change a little bit of his approach to get there and that's just like obviously it's a little anecdotal for a little bit from the outside (laughs) but excuse me he like I wonder if that, like, to, to just sort of piggyback on Chad's point, I think there is a thing there where you really do, like, when you're in head-to-head, you really do want to look at how many innings these guys are going. And there's, again, format-specific, extremely valuable guys who maybe get you one less strikeout, but get you an extra whole inning, right? And, like, the points there are just worth it. And you can't, points are points, right? Like, the 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 thing is the thing. So you can't, you don't need to pick between them. You don't have to just get the sexy points. You can get plain old, this guy goes 6.2 instead of 5.1. That's worth it. Yep, yep. And it makes a bigger difference than I think. I, I, I would think that there are some managers that play in these in this format that don't quite realize what a difference that makes. The other aspect I want to mention that's that's more relevant recently is the idea of an opener and a bulk reliever. An opener in head-to-head is completely worthless. Unless you're in a situation where you have one more start for the week and you just literally have no one else going, that's the only situation where I would use an opener. And um, then the and then the follower is gold. Is right. So that so the inverse is true where the, the follower now you slot him into your relief pitching spot and because you're just getting you know, if he goes four innings at four points per inning, I relievers aren't getting six points sixteen points an outing. So those those and, players And that are rate great. doesn't matter, right? That rate no, doesn't matter. Because you're not you're not expending a limited resource that is inning pitched. You're just playing anybody that you think is going to appear um, in that game's in that day's games at, at the, in your bullpen. So, if, and especially the other benefit is if it is a scheduled bulk reliever and you can anticipate it ahead of time, that's even better because then you just put them on a set schedule and you just right. you have your four best bullpen arms playing that day and then your bulk reliever and and you just roll with it. So. I don't know. I want to add. I want to add one thing to this team before we move on. Sure. Uh, and and that is, this team needs to update their trade block. This team needs to indicate to the league, in an open way, of what they are trying to accomplish. And I think like, there's a whole mess of players. And in our notes, Chad and I sort of disagreed about a couple names here and there. But I think the overall point is that there's no coherence to what this player has made available, in terms of. Some of these guys are buy low candidates. Some of these guys are surplus players. Like there's just a, a a big blend, and this team needs to start thinking about what their plan is on how to like. Well, 
you know, it, now it's it's three teams we've said it for the two year project. What is your two year project? Where are you right now? How do you get to where you want to be? And I think a little bit of coherence in this trade block would go a long way towards because it's not only just for the other players in the in the league, it's for yourself, right? Because then you get to start organizing your thoughts and really being like, This is my plan to go for it. And I don't want I'm not trying to shame this manager by any means. I to me that was a revelation for me in the last couple of years yeah. of, of using the trade block as literally this is where I am right now. Like it, all three of us agreed about this last episode, like this is where I am right now. Where am I trying to go? Using your trade block to formalize that in a way that other people can act on, it it holds you to your plan. So I think this team just needs to re- really, well, just is not the right way to say it because it's a big project. It needs to evaluate where they are and and like, how do you have both a ten dollar David Price, a twenty dollar Chris Paddock, and also a seventy dollar Max Kepler on the same available? list right like some of those guys should probably be kept for this for this project and some of them should be moved and you really should be clear about what your needs are here and what you're trying to accomplish and you your needs are blank and you know i think there's just opportunity there to really build a plan yeah i think right now this trade block reads like here's all the guys i plan to cut because it's such a a random list and, and there's no context given right the lack of like you know i some of these it's like some of them may be cases where you feel like, oh, I've got depth at a certain position, but then this team has two under $20 third basemen that might have $20 value, and neither of them appear to be on the block. And so it's just, it is, it's it is it's really unclear what they're doing. And so as, a, as another team, I look at this and think, oh, interesting. They're planning to cut a $17 Max Kepler. They're planning to cut their $42 Charlie Blackman, and I plan based on that. Because it isn't clear to me that there's there's something else going on, um, right? And then and then and then as the other team, I why am I why am I giving you assets for that, right? Maybe the Kepler, but like there's not a ton there that I'm like I'll just go to auction, you know. And, and I don't mean to harp on 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 the points that we're making here, but I think the other thing that I would recommend is not having 16 names on your trade block. I think sometimes you want to just glance and you want to see and pick out one or two guys that you might be interested in or a positional group you might be interested in. It's a lot harder to do that when there's 16 names and they're not really even ordered in any particular way. Yeah, I think that's um, like that's it, fundamentally the best advice is just go through it. Who are the three guys you want to trade on January 31st that you think you can make win-win trades on. And if there's a certain positional group or a certain type of player that you're, you're looking to move off of, then you can include that in that halves list and then limit the number of specific players you're mentioning. And then the fact that they don't have anything listed under needs, like if I'm trading with this team, I don't even know what they're looking for. And sure, I could go through their roster and try to figure it out, but sometimes that's more work than somebody wants to do. And also like, I'm not here to help you rebuild your team. Right. So, so I think it's just a challenge to like, anyway, the tools are there. I, I would just highly recommend rethinking how you're using them. And I think it also can, can help you put the plan together. Yep. And it's again, and as Niv said, we're not, we're absolutely not trying to shame. It's, it's advice and it's just sort of a larger, and that's the other thing, like we're, we're, we're talking about these specific examples, but we're also trying to make general points. If in anybody in any of their leagues, I'm guilty of not upla- updating my yeah, block. I, mean, I'm, I'm like, saying this I, is a- I can tell you right now, most of my trade blocks are not updated and I need to correct that. And that's something yeah, I need to do. work on. 
Yeah, I do. <laughs> I mean, I do. this is literally like just to I like made you a trade offer. It's just sitting in your inbox, and you're ignoring. <laughs> just just to push on this even further, like I I wrote the code that makes the trade block. I wrote it because other people told me what they needed from the trade block. I didn't write it because this is what I wanted. This was encouraged by the community. I did not understand why people wanted the trade block like this. Right now, I love the trade block. I think it's really functional, and I think it's in a good place. I think there's more improvements to be made, but this was a revelation for me, and I wrote all the code for it. So, like, what, what are we talking about here? Like, this is not – I'm not trying to shame anybody. I just think it's it's kind of a nuanced, interesting thing, the way the trade block works, and I think there's a lot of value to to the way it works right now. You know what you really need to do, Niv, is you need to have like a Tinder-like app for Audino, where you just swipe left <laughs> on other other players' team, you oh, know, other that's teams' right. players, yeah, yeah, that's... and then when you get a match, you get a little, you know, a little pop-up letting you know that you've matched on a on a trade. Oh man! Well, it's all there now, actually, right? Because if you can put halves and you can put wants and you can put the wants as specific players. Yep, and yep. I've see seen a, that, and I've you know, if if I'm in a league and I don't have Julio Rodriguez on my team, you better believe <laughs> I'm going to put him down in my want. <laughs> Chad's going to yeah. put Dom Smith on there. So, all right, let's I've let's m- asked about Dom Smith <laughs> too many times. <laughs> let's move on to our last team. We're going to speed run it just a little bit. This is in league number seven seven two. This is the league name is World Series of Tubes. Uh, the particular team we're going to talk about is Eggs and Wobacon, which is a great name. Uh, this is a Fangrass Points League. Uh, according to the surplus calculator, I'm expecting 30% inflation thereabouts. And this is a first place projected keeper. This is a very strong team. The first thing I think we need to discuss, because I think it's the most important thing to discuss, is I don't know that we've had a situation in the other cases that we've brought up where we've had a team that was predicted to compete with a strong roster that also had an expensive player and in this case an expensive Mike Trout. Trout is $82 in this league and even with 30% infl- inflation it's sort of close to that line where you have to say can I afford to keep him? Can I afford to n- not to keep him? What do you guys think about this situation for this well, team and league? Just for a little uh, additional thing on top of that Last episode, we covered oh, right. a team in this league. I forgot to mention that, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we covered a team that had the eighth place, and now we're covering the team with the first place keepers. So hopefully you guys are both listening and can make a trade after what we come up. Come right, up right. Something. We're playing matchmaker. So do you think that this, like, so Chad, would you keep this trout on this on this particular roster if you're anticipating, if you agree with my anticipation of 30% inflation in this league, do you think you would keep that trout? I think the answer is no, I wouldn't. And I'm I'm really torn on it. But I, I look at the top of this team, and they've got that $82 Trout, and they've got a $49 Bryce Harper. And they're both obviously supremely talented players, and they are both at a point where, man, it is it is close to that sort of keep cut decision and I think that they could use the high end talent and I think it makes sense to keep one of them but I also think this team needs some cash Uh, it's a good team but like their only real first base option is Luke Voigt who was voted off their team and so they're going to either have to buy him back or find another first baseman in the outfield, I, I think you can have Trout or Harper. I don't really think you can have both. And then you've got Fran Mil Reyes, Jesse Winker, Ramon Laureano. 
Brandon Belt, Jock Peterson, you need more outfield depth. It's a good outfield, but you need more outfield depth. I don't know what their plans are. I think their middle infield is fine. Bichette's really good. Muncie and Moustakis are, are totally fine as your second base and middle infield. But I think you could use some some upgrades there. At least one upgrade, I guess I would say. I know Christian Vasquez was good last year, but I don't think he's my favorite choice at catcher. I don't know. I just like I look at this team and I think like there's a lot of really good pieces, but they need money to spend to improve it. And I don't think the best use of that money is $140 on Harper and Trout. And I would rather have Harper and the 33 extra dollars. Like that gets you that gets you your number two outfielder to go with Harper if you want it, or it gets you a huge upgrade at middle infield, or it gets you your stud first baseman you need. I would rather have that than just have Trout. Yeah, I, I I don't think that there's a clear right or wrong decision to make here. I think I would personally keep Trout for that guaranteed sort of certainty. I mean, if there's there's no sure bet to produce a $50 plus player than Mike Trout, and yeah, he's $82, but I'm less certain about Harper. I'm okay throwing Harper back throwing so there's a there's a lot of mid-tier chad mentioned christian vasquez but there's also like an 11 dollar jorge polanco i might throw back he's very close to that keep cut line to me i try to trim some of these eight seven nine ten dollar players save a little bit money there and i'm okay going into the auction at like fifty dollars to spend and needing 20 players if the if the roster is already strong and i think trout i don't think this roster is strong enough that $50 is enough to fill out what they need. I, I think it is. I think it is. When you start with, with, with Trout and, and Rendon and Bueller and Bo Bichette and you Darvish that at a, at a discount, Lamette, although there's some risk there as well, Fran Mill, I think it is. And I think there's also, I mean, there's not a lot of prospects on this team, but there's a little bit of prospect capital. I, I, I just... This team, this team won last year, right? So I wonder if they're sort of in a the, buying midseason is going to be a little harder because they probably took some shots last year. That that would make sense, and that's probably the situation that they were in. And that's probably why they're stuck with a couple of stuck. But that's probably why they have these two expensive outfielders on the team. I just would rather take the bet with Trout, even though he's more expensive. I think he's worth that that payoff. And there's enough. They're not so cash-strapped with the other salaries that they have on this team that if they cut Harper, they could totally make that work. And, yeah, there's there's risk to that, and there's risk to keeping to keeping either one of them. I think, based on inflation, they're both worth keeping. You know, and, and, and as we've said before, try to trade one of them. See, see what you could get. I don't know that anybody's going to make a big trade for one of these expensive outfielders before the auction, but you don't know unless you do your due diligence and see what's available. But me, I would be okay throwing Harper back, keeping Trout, and just sort of nibbling on the edges of the auction and then just rolling with it. So, I think you're right, though, to, to shop them because I, I think the real answer to this question of which one do you keep is whoever gets you less in a trade. And if neither of them gets you anything in a trade, then fine. Then you have to make a decision. But I think I would I would shop them both and see who gets you the more interesting return. I, that That's where I would land, I think. And if you could get a good return for one of them, then I would just keep the other one. 
Yeah. And there's even, I mean, if you really wanted to, depending on, on how you felt about the other managers in this league, there's even an argument to be made to not keep either one of them and, and just sort of retool a little bit. Maybe you won't be a favorite after the auction, but you give yourself more flexibility going forward. I, I don't think that that's the right choice or the, the first choice that I would have, but I think it's, it wouldn't be a tragic mistake to get, get rid of both of them. But I, I will say like that, that trout, it's $82, but I don't think it's quite high enough for me to say that that's a player that should be cut. He needs to be traded or capped in my opinion. So, yeah, this is another example of update your trade block and, and shop aggressively. Right. I think, there's a couple pieces here that are that are movable, and this manager has shown a willingness to make trades in the past. I just took a quick peek at the transaction history, and Harper and Trout were both acquired via trade in the last year, right? But Trout was acquired at this time before the keeper deadline, and Harper was acquired just after the auction draft before the 2020 season, or at least that's how I read it because of the loans and stuff. And... You know, I, I think you've shown a willingness to make trades. I think that's what I would do with, with, and I think you, Trout or Harper, right? You, one of the two, I think, which based on return, I think is totally right. But the the thing I want to point out is that this this trade block again has just not been bumped in a little bit. I don't know if it's just like quiet time right now, but in the next couple of days, like I think there is probably a deal to be made for that Trout. I think there is somebody. I don't think that trout necessarily goes to auction at $82 in that league, right? Like I think there's probably somebody who will hold that trout and what can you get from? Yeah. And I would, and I would try to find that out, but I would not, I don't think I could, I don't think I could cut him. I really don't think I could. So you think you'd rather cut the $49 Bryce Harper? Yes. Yes. Because I want, it, it comes down to sort of the, and I mentioned this in a prior episode, that sort of scarcity issue to me, like like Trout is in a class of his own. Maybe Soto's going to be in that class, but outside of those two, like they're in a class of their own. And worst case scenario, I keep him. I'm not doing well. There's no better in season trade asset than trading away Mike Trout, assuming he doesn't get injured or anything like that. Obviously, that's a given. So it's to me, it's a win win. He's going to help me compete, and yes, he limits my flexibility, but they have surplus assets to absorb that. And that's exactly the sort of team that should be keeping an expensive trout. Otherwise, the other option would be you trade him away, you try to get something, and maybe you get creative and you try to trade for him back in the season. I don't know, but I would not cut him straight out because I, I think that it that's, personally, yeah, that's, that's right. just not something I, I feel like it, I could ever actually click the cut button on, on a trout that that's, is is really and, not that well, overpriced. Well, let me ask you. We're we're getting to it in League One on this. Where is the number where you cut Trout? Like in in any format. Well, I, I don't know what the number is yet. You know, I'd be interesting to. It'd be interesting to see if you actually were able to pull that and see how many times a Trout has ever even been cut. Because there was one point when I think we were discussing this on Slack, the theory that he's never a cut, that his value is rising with the rate of inflation. And he's like, in this particular case, he, he got a $2 bump. This manager traded for him last, the December before 2020 traded for him at $80, kept him at $80. He got a $2 standard increase and no ARB money. I don't know why this manager wouldn't just make that same decision again. It seems like they should. And I, and I would, 
say we've been we've been having this conversation around this podcast. We haven't been having this long, but I wrote an article at, at Fangraphs in 2015, <laughs> asking basically, is Mike Trout worth it? And at the time, what showed up was that you got diminishing returns from having Trout on your roster around seventy to seventy-five dollars. It was right around like seventy-two, seventy-three, that that it started to to turn. This sounds like you trying to get me to cut a seventy-five dollar Mike Trout in League One right now. I, I'm not <laughs> trying to get you to do anything, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, when I looked at the numbers, what I what I basically did was looked at teams that had Trout and where they finished relative to their cost of trout and like the average finish for a team with like a $50 trout was like third or fourth the average finish for a $70 trout was like seventh or eighth and it's a pretty clear at the time a pretty clear upward trajectory that the more you spend on trout the less likely you were to win and you hit a sort of a breaking point where around 70 bucks you were finishing worse than the average team. That if you entered the season with a trout over that price point, your likely outcome was worse than sixth, worse than seventh, whatever it was. Right? Do you worse think? Do you think in the last five years, inflation has changed in such a way or increased in such a way that that number is maybe a little bit different now? Or it, because it a lot be. of the leagues will be a little bit older now, right? It might not be. I'm not them, sure right? how. You know, I'd have to go back and try to remember exactly what I did to do this analysis. It may not have been like the world's most robust analysis either. And so I'm not, I'm not putting a stake in the ground at $72 and saying like, that's it. Beyond it is, that, is worth considering worth though, right? It is but, worth considering. But there is, there are diminishing returns. And at least, you know, six years ago, those diminishing returns started in the low 70s to mid 70s, not the low to mid 80s. And I don't think that 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 the combination of arbitration and inflation and everything else has moved it to the point that that it's moved up that much. If anything's moved it up that much, and this is purely there's no data to back this up right now. I'm just I'm just sort of spitballing, but it does feel like in the last few years we've seen a lot more prospects come up and just break out quickly. We've had a lot, I, I feel like my willingness at least to accept that like this top prospect may be a great player right now like a Soto, like a Tatis. I feel that way about Dylan Carlson. He struggled last year, but I think Carlson's going to be in that boat this year. Like Lindor came up and was really good right away, right around that time. I do feel like there's been more young players establishing themselves quicker than ever before. And if that's true, it would also mean that spending more on the top guys is okay because you're spending less to get production from those right. those cheaper guys. And so that that may have moved it. I just... I don't know. I look at this and like my 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 instinct tells me that as you're pushing eighty plus dollars on Trout, you may not think he's a cut. He's not gonna he's not gonna single handedly take your team. It's not like you can't win with that, but I think you're actually making it harder on yourself with an eighty five dollar trout, eighty four dollar trout than you are without. Yeah, and, and, and as I said at the very beginning, like I'm not I'm not so sure either in either direction that I'm going to push back too hard on and in any of those reasonings or any of those opinions, because I think it is, it, it certainly puts you in a bind in terms of your cap space. And, you know, that's 20% of your cap to one player. And you have to understand that 
there is risk that if anything happens to Mike Trout, your season is over. Like, that's just right. the case. But at the same time, I think if anybody's worth spending that much on, the only person that would be worth that much is Trout, um, with the possible exception of, of Juan Soto. So let, um, let me just ask, looking at the, yeah. the free agents in this league right now, and I think this is a vote-off league, and so some of these free agents are not entirely free. But Tatis, Corey Seager, Marcelo Zuna, Eloy Jimenez, Aaron Judge, Rafael Devers, Pete Alonzo, Luke Voigt, this team, as I said, needs a first baseman. There's some interesting pitchers like Zach Gallen. I look at that, and this is before potentially Harper or Trout or any number of other expensive players get cut because there will obviously be more expensive cuts. Do you really think that at so they're they're forty nine and eighty two, so it's hundred and thirty one dollars. You could get three guys at forty three dollars a piece instead of those two. I I find it hard to believe that you couldn't do better at auction with hundred and thirty dollars than walking away with Trout and Harper. I think you can get better value and and in some better production, especially for a team that to me right now is not that deep. Just needs a little bit more depth. If, right. Right. if you replace those, if you replace those two outfielders with three forty-dollar outfielders, and the guy who gets pushed to your bench is Ramon Laureano, or gets pushed to a cut is Ramon Laureano, like that's going to be a big improvement. If you had five really good outfielders, and adding a new one, getting going from those two to three was going to push you know a twenty-dollar outfielder to your bench, that makes a big difference. But that's not what's going to happen here. This team has right. room to add more talent. I. I I don't know. My original thought was you keep one of the two, and like I said, whichever one gets you better return is the one you trade. I'm going back to what Justin said. Maybe you do cut them both, and maybe you are better off just figuring out, like, look, I, I mean, without those two, like, this team really, this team doesn't have a great outfield, right? Fran Reyes and Jesse Winker are two, I think, very good values at $11 and $9 each. I like a, an $8 Brandon Belt. Assuming he gets signed somewhere, Jock Peterson at $8 is a really nice value as well. I think you could use three top outfielders on top of that, and I think you're better off with three $40 outfielders or even two $40 outfielders and a $40 player somewhere else than you are with just Trout and Harper. Yeah, I think you could be, and 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 which is why I mentioned it as a possibility. I think that even though it's not something I would do, I think there is a a valid strategic path to doing that. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, it also, it also matters what this manager is looking to do. Do they want to take another shot and know that they're probably going to have to rebuild in 2022? If they do take that shot by keeping trout or Harper or both, then because that's going to limit how quickly they can turn things around. But otherwise you could retool cut both still be competitive this year, but then also give yourself a lot more, flexibility to be competitive in 2022 as well and that so depending on how i wanted this this team to go going forward i could see that as a path that you cut both and you you try to diversify a little bit so all right anything else we want to talk about with this with this particular league and team real quick otherwise i think we're going to wrap it up okay we are done we've covered seven teams over the course of two episodes we had a lot of requests and I want to thank everybody that reached out and, and asked for us to discuss their team. Unfortunately, we couldn't get to, to nearly 
a tenth of the ones we, we got a pretty good response so i feel like this sort of style of episode we're going to do again last year we did it as a trade deadline series we'll definitely do that again and we may try to find another way to do some sort of case study series again as well in a different aspect so thank you for everybody submitted their teams for us to scrutinize and and hopefully nobody take anything that we said personally we are just trying to give advice that's not just applicable to one person but applicable to everybody that listens so that being said thank you thank you for listening and we will probably be back with a i'm not sure what we're going to do next positional positional preview series might be might be coming up next yes so the next episode might be catchers probably will be catcher positions it's a little early and i we need to wrap our heads around getting ready to to even evaluate players considering how many don't have teams right now but we will press forward as we need to so okay good night and thank you for listening